Well, welcome to Sojourn. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So for starting last week and for the next couple weeks, we are looking at why Sojourn exists and what do we prioritize. So the next several weeks, we're going to spend at least probably two weeks on each of these. We're going to look at our priorities as a, as a church. The first one being the Bible. This is our book. Next one being the gospel, our message. Then community, our family. And then the last, we'll talk about mission, which is our task before us. Now, on Sunday mornings, what you kind of see, if, if we were to put it in the picture, it would be kind of like what comes out of the, the faucet. If you turn on the faucet, water comes out, but you don't really see where it comes from or what's kind of supporting that all along the way as before it comes out. And, and what we're doing for these next several weeks is really kind of opening up the doors and letting you see the, the pipes, the, the, the plumbing, the work that, that makes all what we have on Sunday mornings and at home groups, what is driving that, what is making that come out. And so... This morning we're talking about our first priority, what we prioritize here at Sojourn, and that being the Bible. The Bible. So I'd encourage you guys to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's just read this Bible. Starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you don't have the Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. We're going to start in verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that we would not come to this book as if it is just a common book. That we would turn to your word in reverence for what it is because of who you are. God, train us and teach us who you are and what this word is and why and how we should prioritize it in our own individual lives and in our lives as a church. And God, we ask this because we want to be equipped, we want to be built up that Jesus might receive glory. And so to that end, we, we turn to your word this morning. So it's in Jesus' name, name that we pray this morning. Amen. You might have seen these shirts, you might actually have them as well, that say, I bleed, and it has a color, orange and black, if you're an OSU fan, or, or crimson and cream, or whatever color, they might have a thunder shirt now, I, I, I bleed thunder blue, whatever that color is, and the sunset orange that they have in there. These shirts are, are pretty popular shirts because what they're, they're, they're capturing from people is this identity. That they so identify with their team, they so identify with something that if you were in theory to cut them open, they would bleed this out because this team, this school, this whatever, is such a central part of their being that it, it is part of all of them. So there's not one area of their life that's not affected by that. So they have these shirts made a popular run of things that I bleed orange and black or whatever the color is. You had these, we had these in high school, colleges, whatever. Well, there was a man like that 
And Charles Spurgeon described him. He said, read anything of his. And he's talking about uh, John Bunyan. Read anything of his and you'll see that it's almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it, speaking of the Bible, till his very soul was saturated with scriptures. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us even his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere and his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. So if John Bunyan were to have a shirt, he could say, I believe the Bible. This is what Spurgeon is saying about him. He is so saturated, so full of the Bible, if you were to kind of cut him open and do an examination, like see what's going on in there, it would be full of the Scriptures, full of the Bible. And as a church, at Sojourn, we exist to glorify God by making disciples. And, and, and how we go about that matters. And what we prioritize in that matters. But our blood as a church and as individuals is to be of this essence of the Scripture. It is to flow through us and affect every single part of our lives. It is to inform and instruct all that we do as individuals, but especially as a church. And so the Bible, as we'll see, is, is the inspired Word of God. And it is to be central for our life as a church and to inform all that we do, instructing us in how it would instruct us. So when we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we can be reminded that Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's encouraging him to maintain the centrality of the Bible in his own life. So Timothy is this pastor who's in Ephesus. This church has been... Overrun in some ways it seems with, with one major problem and that being false teachers with false teachings. Paul warned that this would happen if you see in Acts chapter 20 along with us. Verse 29, Paul says this when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul knows what's going to happen. He kind of is saying, here's, here's what likely will happen. There are going to be people who are false teachers with false teachings come, and they might not just be outsiders. They might even come from among you. And indeed, this is what was happening when Timothy is there as a pastor in Ephesus. They did come. They brought their false teachings. They were divisive. They were destructive. They were deceiving. If you look in 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 3, verse 13, he says this, while evil people, speaking even of these false teachers and imposters, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is a bad situation that he's saying Timothy has to do something here. They are deceived themselves and they can't keep this deceit to themselves. They're deceiving others as well. They're making more disciples with their false teachings. And so Paul writes Second Timothy to encourage Timothy. In this situation, in this setting. Now it's likely that this is Paul's last letter that he wrote. It may be that Paul is days from death when he writes 2 Timothy. Could be longer, but could be days from dying. And he writes to encourage Timothy to something different than what these false teachers are doing. So he says to him, 
In verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In, in light of all these false teachers, in light of these false teachings that are cropping up, new things that keep coming wave after wave, Paul does not call Timothy to something new. He doesn't say, you know what, here's a new strategy and a new technique to take these guys on in a better way. Instead, what he calls for is something really kind of old. He wants them to attack, but he wants them to kind of attack with stuff that he already knows. It's not something new. It's, it's, it's kind of doubling down on the things that you have already learned. He calls for steadfastness. Continue on, rooted in the Bible. Now we know about Timothy's mother and grandmother. They were both Jewish, and evidently they had taught Timothy in the faith. We see this from chapter 1, verse 5. It says, And I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy, by this faithful grandmother and mother, was instructed in the faith. And these two Jewish women, they likely educated him in the Old Testament or these sacred writings that Paul speaks of here. So from childhood, it says, Timothy has been acquainted with these things. He, he knows these things. Timothy grew up with Bible stories before bedtime. Right, that's what's going on here. His mother and his grandmother are making sure they're informing him with the Scripture. They're keeping it central in his life. They made sure that they taught him the sacred writings, the Old Testament. But we see more from them as well. They, they taught it, but they also lived it, apparently, because Paul says, you don't just know these things, you also know them because you've been acquainted, but you can see them, you've seen them lived out. And so he's telling him, remain steadfast, not because you're acquainted with them, but also because you've seen them lived out in these two faithful women. They taught him the Scripture, but they had character as well. So he, he learned, he has the knowledge, but he also sees the practical outpouring of their lives every day as these two godly women live before him. And this is a potent combination. Good knowledge, scriptural knowledge, scriptural wisdom lived out in everyday life is a powerful combination. So they both declared the Scripture to him and demonstrated it before him and it changed and shaped Timothy's life. And I want us to just stop and think about the impact these two women had. Just by declaring the Scripture and living it out in their lives. You see, Lois and Eunice were just ordinary. We don't know much more about them than they were Jewish and they taught the Scriptures. They were ordinary women. But they trusted God and they lived out their faith. And it shaped and molded a young man named Timothy who goes on to be a disciple of Paul's, to be a pastor, to be a co-laborer along with Paul. They lived out their faith. They taught it, acquainting young Timothy with the Scriptures. So Timothy's life was shaped by two normal women who kept the Word of God central in his life as they kept it central in their own lives. Now we read Bible stories to our kids. We feel this is important for their lives. We don't do it perfectly. We don't do it every day. If you're a parent, I don't say that you should shoot for either of those because you're going to fail. And that's okay. There's room for that. But often what happens when we read these Bible stories to our kids is nothing profound. Like, so if you're thinking that like I'm up here doing this perfectly and we got all the 
noise, the skipping lines out, then you're not paying attention. Because we're not. And oftentimes, like, I'm frustrated because Anna keeps putting her hand over the words so I can't even read them because she's asking me another question about the picture that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Or we'll ask questions at the end and then we'll hear, like, I don't know. Right? This is everyday life, and I hope you parents are entering into this as well. I mean, we, we know that it's not profound, but we still see it as, as hugely important. We, we are convinced that this still matters. Because we are showing, either whether they're receiving it or not, that the Scripture is central in our lives and ought to be central in their lives. There's room for, for kids to be kids and to run and, and play and do all these things in Bible time. There's room for them to be imperfect and, and not know the answers to questions. There's room for them to ask random off-the-wall questions in the middle of a story about something completely different. There's room for all that, and it still matters. Because we do not know the impacts... Lois and Eunice did not know the impact, but they were faithful to keep the Scriptures central in Timothy's life. And we want to do that as well. That's what we are shooting for. So, so parents, I'm not saying be perfect in your Bible story time or whatever you call it, but, but have a trajectory to be faithful in it. And parents and grandparents especially, just thinking of, of Lois and Eunice, like, think once again of the impacts. Lois and Eunice did not have some amazing technique. They taught... They didn't have some great little big picture story Bible or Jesus storybook Bible. They had the sacred writings. They had the Old Testament. You know, that's that big chunk of the Bible that you probably skip over. Like, that's what they had. And that's what they read and taught from over and over and over again. And their impact is still being felt. You realize that, right? Like, what they've passed down is still being felt today because of the life and ministry of Timothy, who came from the life and ministry of Paul. So kids, this is for you. If your parents are teaching you Bible stories or reading the Bible to you, they are going to do it imperfectly. You should not expect perfection, but you should listen carefully. Because the Word is central and it matters. They may not be the best teachers, but God has given them to you to do this very thing. So take it seriously. Listen carefully. Try to remember what they're talking about, but watch their lives. Because... Ultimately, we want to say that we don't just want to declare these things. We want to demonstrate them before you. And so we want parents who will declare the gospel and demonstrate it. Who will declare the word, but also live it out in their lives. And that's what we want the children to see. And that's what we want all people to see. Normal people with the centrality of the Bible can do huge things to make this lasting impact. Lois and Eunice were normal people. But they kept the word central. And they show us that keeping the word central can have a large impact. Because it says in this passage that the Scripture is able to make one wise for what? For salvation through faith in Jesus. Now, this is always a big question, especially of church people with church kids. Like, we want them to be saved. How can we guarantee that? Because a lot of us didn't get saved through kind of these ordinary, awesome parents that are teaching us the, the Bible faithfully. It happened down the line somewhere. But the Scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. So do we want other people, do we want our children to be saved? I think centrality of the Bible is, is key to that. Now we don't point to the Bible as the Bible saves us. We don't do that. But if we continually to point people to the Bible, it will effectively and powerfully point them always to the one who saves, and that's Jesus Christ. The Bible is much more faithful to do this than we are, and so we want to point people to the Bible over and over and over again because it points them over and over again to Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. 
But just think about the impact of normal, faithful living when the Bible is central. Now this isn't just for parents and grandparents. We think about when, when Paul's writing this, he's also thinking about his own example of his own teaching with Paul's life as, or Timothy's life as well. Paul clearly had a large influence on Timothy. He calls him a son in the faith. So Paul comes to him, proclaims the word of Christ to him, and through his ministry, Timothy gets involved with, with Paul's ministry. He, he starts traveling with Paul. Paul sends him. He encourages him. He equips him all along the way, keeping the Bible as central to all of that. The Bible is central. So Paul encourages him, remain in this, continue in this, be steadfast in this. Keep the Bible central. Just as you, you've known it, you've seen it, keep it central. So the Scripture from, from Adam to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, ought to be central. It had a central place in Timothy's life as he learned the sacred writings, but also heard about Jesus through the ministry of Paul and ongoing. From his childhood to the time of this letter, Paul said, remain in that. Now, I'm not giving you a new technique to take on these teachers. Go to what you already know. Keep turning over and over again to the Scripture. Stick to it. Now, you, you might be here today and not be real acquainted with the Scriptures. And you might be thinking, like, there's a lot of kids here that know more about the Bible and know more Bible stories than I do. And the reality is, is that you're not out of place. But that's why we exist. We, we are here. We want to acquaint people with the Scriptures. We want to teach it to them. We want to show it how it works out in our lives. We want to show how it points over and over again to salvation in Jesus. And so if you don't know those things yet, you're right where you need to be if you have a humble heart ready to receive. We just want to show you. We want to teach you. We want to come alongside you and do these things with you. Because here at Sojourn, we are prioritizing the Bible. This is our book. We want to live it out. It is central. And we gather, when we gather, we gather around it. Always gathering around the Scripture. If you have a computer, they're constantly needing updates to keep up with the new threats that are out there. And they're ever increasing all the time. So you have to update your software. You have to update your system. Because there's new viruses coming. Paul is saying kind of the opposite. There's, there's false teachings. They're kind of new. and all. You don't need something new. No update needed. Just stick to, double down on what you already have in front of you. Amen. But, but why? why? Why the Bible? Why all the emphasis on the Scripture? Why does that need to be central? Why should the Bible be one of our priorities as a church? Why should you prioritize it as an individual, as a believer? Well, the centrality of the Bible and its, its need to be central in our lives as both a church and as individual comes from its nature. What Scripture actually is. And so if you look at verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So this is the nature of the Bible. The nature of Scripture is that it is God-breathed. When Paul uses the word Scripture here, I think that he clearly would understand that to mean both the Old Testament and the Old Testament in light of Jesus. And even clearly even thinking of his own writings at this point. And so what we have in front of us, the, the, the Bible that we have in front of us, is what we know as the Scriptures. And he says of this Bible, of these Scriptures, that all of it, all of it is breathed out by God. It's God's Word. It's spoken by God. And so its source is divine. It comes from God. So this isn't just the words of Paul. So we're not just agreeing or disagreeing or obeying and disobeying Paul. We are agreeing or disagreeing with God. We are obeying or disobeying God. 
when we look into this Word. I like what one author has said. He says, if you want to hear from God, read your Bible. And if you want to hear Him audibly, read it out loud. The reality is what Paul's getting at, the nature of the Scripture, that it is God's Word. And so what we have in front of us is God's book. So before it's our book, it's primarily God's book. And think about this. God wrote a book. God, who designed and created all things, including you and your brain, wrote a book. And His words are in front of us for us to read and know and study and live out. This is our book, church. I love these words from John Wesley. He says this. He says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. We can just step back for just a second and say, like, no matter who you are or where you're from, there's a yearning inside of you for perfection, for greatness, for heaven. You want to know that way. I, I hope that you want to know that way. And here's what he says. God Himself has condescended to teach the way. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me that book. Do we understand what we have in front of us? Do we have this attitude? At any price, give me that book. I, I would guess that sometimes we are, we're bored with it. Right? I mean, or we treat it kind of like we're unimpressed with it. We've forgotten, or we need to be reminded that God wrote a book. And that all of the Scripture, every word, down to the very words, it is breathed out by God. It has a divine source behind it. And so we ought to say and have that same kind of attitude as Wesley here, give me that book. At any price, give me that book. Because this book is unlike any other book in all the universe. It is not like the Book of Mormon. It is not like Harry Potter. Some of you are like, I've never read that anyway, so we're good there. You should probably read it. It is not like your car manual or cookbook. Right? This is God's book. He wrote it. It has a divine source. No other book is like that. No other book has been breathed out by God. That could be a larger case with some of those books that I mentioned. But let's be clear at least this morning. Our argument and stance is no other book is breathed out by God. But this book that we have in front of us we call the Bible. And so John Wesley said this. And I hope that this would be our attitude as well. Let me be, and I don't even know how to say this. Homo unius libre. Close enough. A man of one book. Let us be people in a church of one book. And let it instruct and inform all that we do. Because it is written down by God. He breathed it out for us. And so it needs to inform and instruct all that we do. And because the scripture is breathed out by God. It has authority over us. Because God is the one who is speaking. So isn't Paul speaking? We can't say, well, Paul's a peer, so he has no authority. No, this is God speaking. And where he speaks, we are to obey his command because he has authority over us. This book and these words have the same weight as if God were here speaking audibly to us because when we're reading out loud, God is here speaking audibly to us. Amen. So 
if you're a parent and you're like us, we, we tell our kids to do stuff. Like, go do this. And they often reply back with this one word, why? Why? You hear this word often? We hear it even after commands too. We're like, why this? Why that? I'm like, well, when we tell you to do something, we don't have to explain how we or why we want you to do it all the time. Because in the scripture, we could point to this divine authoritative word. God has put us in authority over you to command you how we need to command you within the line of His will, right? And so when we tell you to do something and you say why, we no longer have to give an explanation. We can say, and we do say, because mom or dad told you to, and that is enough. Because we have authority given to be over them. That is from God. So if you're a parent and they ask you why, you do not, don't feel... Don't feel like you have to give them an explanation all the time. It's okay to do that. I'm not saying don't ever do that. But you can say, because I said so, and you would be in line with the Scripture because God said you're in authority over their life. They need to learn that. We do this with our children. But there is an authority over us. And we can say, because I said so, because we are authority over them. And God says, because I said so, this is my word, this is my book, and because I say so, you obey these things. And what we have in front of us is the most powerful and authoritative word ever known. So what does God do in the beginning? He, he speaks, right? He uses words and everything submits to His authority. Lights, dark, animals, everything is submitting to the authority of the Word of God. It is the most powerful force in all the universe. He speaks and it happens. It has authority over all of the universe. And it is our authority as a church as well, and hopefully as you as individuals. It is to inform and instruct all that we do. To disobey this Word is to disobey God. Because it's all from Him. Now I think, I, I could argue that one of the most disliked words in our culture is that word authority. We do not want any part of that word. And we can cite all sorts of reasons, right? There, misuse of authority, abuse of authority, all sorts of problems from maybe we've done that before and we want to get away from that. Like I've abused my own authority and so now I don't want any part of that word. But we, we could go through those reasons over and over again, but the root of that is called sin. You see, it started in the garden. When God created things, including Adam and Eve, His, his people, His image bearers, with His good word, His powerful word, He created these things. And everything in the universe submits itself fully to the authority and power of God's word, except when humanity rebelled. The universe, the, the galaxy, is obeying the command of God, but humanity rebelled against it. God's good word, which was created us and was meant to rule over us for our good was rejected. There was a rebellion. And that same rebellion that started then is now inside all of us. And so that's why we do not like the word authority. And so we reject it. We, we give God the stiff arm. We want to rule our lives. We do not want anybody over us. But the problem is not with the authority. The problem is with us. Problem is our own sin. God, as our Creator, has rights over us to command us however He chooses, however He sees fit. And we are so and we, we can't even wrap our minds around around the goodness of God. Because He could command us of anything, but because of the very nature of God and how good and merciful and gracious He is, all of His commands, all of His authority are exerted upon us for our good. 
God is good. And so all of His words are good. He's not an egotistical maniac trying to command slaves. He's a loving Father, a sacrificial King, trying to work for the good of His people. So think about His, his powerful and authoritative word that speaks in the universe and the, the galaxy starts spinning around. And all of that was from the goodness of God for the goodness of the world. And the one who would be our authority is also the one who would lay down His life that we might listen and follow Him for our good. So God is this authority who wants us so much to submit to His will that He doesn't force us to do it, but sacrifices to make it available to us. His authority over us is for our good and for our flourishing. So His Word, as God breathed and as authoritative, is also for our good. And so where it pushes in on us, where it convicts us, and it will, all cultures of all times will be convicted in some ways by this Word, then we should submit ourselves to it knowing that God is our authority and that His authority is good. Amen. We want to advance. We want to follow it. And so the nature of the Bible is, is God breathed and it gives it this unique authority to inform and instruct us. But he continues on in verse 16. What is this word for? It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So this authoritative word informs both our beliefs, our doctrines, our thinking, and our living, our, our conducts. How we live out our lives. And so we have teaching and reproof. They kind of deal with doctrine and beliefs. We have uh, the, the second part of that. What's the second part of it? Let me look again. Training and correction. They're instructing our living. So we have both a positive and a negative in each one. He gives two for doctrine, two for living, a positive and a negative in each one. So here's the positive. Scripture is profitable for teaching, he says. So the Bible gives us our content of our teaching. Do not go to a church where the content of the teaching is full of things outside of the Scripture. Not to say that they are never to be present, but the Scripture is the content of all of our teaching. And it ought to be here, and if it's not, then go somewhere else. This is why we believe in what we call expositional preaching. Which means that the point of the text is the point of our teaching or our sermons. This is important to us. We will die on that hill because we need the Word that much. Amen. And because it is God's Word. False teachers were given over to myths. They were given over to genealogies. And we see that in First and Second Timothy. And he tells Timothy, you need to teach with the content of the Word of God. That's what's profitable for teaching. Teach the Bible. Don't teach myths or genealogies or whatever else you can come up with. So we're not... We're not going crazy around here thinking, oh man, what's, what's the next sermon series where we come up next? We always have it in front of us in the Word. Amen. So our content is the Bible, and we want to be a Bible-saturated church. The negative side of that, it's profitable for reproof. This is rebuke. It's refuting errors. There's false teachers. You can take the Word of God, hold it up to them, see where they are not in line with it, and you can correct them or try to reprove them. And so we have a standard for truth. It's not Paul's opinion. It's not Timothy. Just think about what you think is right. Go look at those false teachers and then go from there. No, you have a standard of truth in front of you. You have the Word of God and you can reprove those who are outside of this. You can evaluate and correct objectively. I think this is what he does to these false teachers. He holds up the Word of God to them. And so the people of God who understand who God is and His authority 
will no longer follow after false teaching because they'll understand. There's, there's truth here, and it lines up with what we've seen in the Scripture. And so the Bible is our authority, and it informs and instructs our beliefs, but we'd also have to inform and instruct our, our living, our practice. And we do not want to separate the two. They're not separated in the Scripture. We don't want to separate them here. I think the false teachers were likely separating these. I mean, we can believe one thing and live another way. We do not want to do that. So it informs our living as well. And so first he says the, the negative, that it is profitable for correction. For correction. So setting right, straightening out. If there's, there's things that are going off, the Word can bring them back and straighten out. And, and Paul does this with Peter. You remember in Galatians 2? I have this on the screen, but when, when Cephas, as Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. He's a bold man. Because he stood condemned. Now what standard would you use to do that? To correct? To set right? Well he says, I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So the truth evaluate. It wasn't just Paul saying, you know what Peter? It's time to pick a fight. People are saying this. You know, I follow Peter and some people follow Paul. Well let's do this thing. I want to get the upper hand. No he doesn't do that. He says you're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. The truth is evaluating. And so he's able to correct him. So that's kind of the negative side. The positive side is, is it profitable for training in righteousness? Training in righteousness. So this is the means, the Word, the Bible, is the means that God uses to produce righteousness in us. So the, the Bible provides both the guidelines and informs and instructs how we are to live our conduct and instructs our living. And so the Bible is... Good and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And to this end, verse 17, he says this, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And here's the reality. God has called us to holiness. This is will for his life, it says in Thessalonians. He calls us in Matthew, he says, be holy. It's a repeated command from the Old Testament. Be holy, be righteous, be fully holy, be fully righteous. And all that God asks, He provides. Every time He asks something, He provides the means to get it done. He provides for us to do that. And so He gives us the Bible to equip us, to train us that we might be men and women of righteousness. That we might be a church of righteousness. We have all we need for that training right here in the Scripture. We don't need a new method. We need the Bible. We don't need different teachings. We need to know this teaching from the Scripture. So the, the Bible provides the content. It provides our direction. It informs our right belief. It informs our right living. So in the Bible we have everything that is necessary for righteousness. For every good work. We have everything we need to be faithful. To obey. God is our authority. This is His Word. We want to be faithful to obey it in our lives. And so we prioritize the Bible here at Sojourn. It's God's Word breathed out by Him. If we want to be competent as individuals, if we want to be equipped for every good work, if we want to do this as a church, don't we want to, don't we want to be competent and we want to be equipped for good works here in Enon? What are we to do? We need the Word of God to teach us, to train us, to reprove us, to correct us. This is our book. This is our book. We need to understand its nature and hold fast to it. The centrality of the Bible and the life of the church comes because the nature of the Bible is that it's breathed out by God. It has authority over us and has the central place because it's God's Word. But the nature of the Bible also kind of informs, even a little bit more specifically, what Paul charges Timothy with here. You look in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, regroup, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So preach the word is the command to Timothy. That is, proclaim it out loud. You have to say this word. And so the Bible is to play not just a central place in the life of Timothy individually, but into his ministry. It is to be the central book of Timothy's ministry. He is to preach the word. And, and because of that, it is very plain that if the Bible is to take this central place in this pastor over this church in Ephesus, if he is to preach that word, then that means for the congregation, for the church, that the, the preaching of the word of God is central to the life of the church as well. But notice, once again, what is central. Not just preaching. He doesn't just say preach. He's very specific with this. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so the content, once again, is not what Timothy wants to go after this time. It's not this guy has done something wrong and you need to figure that out, so preach that. He says, preach preach the word. The content is the Bible. Your trust is in God. Your content is in the Bible. I like what one author said. If we are not going to use our Bible, it is of no use building our churches. Just close them down right now. Preach the Word, he says to Timothy. And Paul calls Timothy to do this in the church, which the church, he says in 1 Timothy 3, is a pillar and a buttress of what? Of the truth. The the truth is upholding us. The truth, this Word of God, is is holding us up. It's sustaining us. And it's to provide the content of our gatherings. It instructs our living. It instructs our belief. And he tells them to be ready to do this in season or out of season, whether it's convenient or not. And guess what? It's not. And it's somewhat convenient for us. I mean, Timothy is not convenient. You have false teachers. You have wolves that are trying to destroy your church and rip you apart, Timothy. It's not convenient for you to preach the word. And yet he says, be ready, be on standby all the time to keep this word ready for the people. They might hear it. Preach it to them. It's central in your life, even when it's not convenient. And so part of what we're, we're doing here is, is hopefully helping you replace me. Like I want to train you to replace every single one of us as pastors. If I get hit by a bus, if they all get hit by a bus at the same time, we're going on a retreat, bus, boom, we're gone. Do not mourn long for us as if we don't have hope. We trust in Jesus. But replace us with people that will do this. Preach the Word. It's not so much the man, although that's important too, but someone that will keep the content of the Bible central. Amen. Get someone that will trust it, that will study it, that will know it and that will obey it. And that will give it out to you guys. But not just someone who's just going to be this gospel sledgehammer and just preach the Word. He also gives some more there, right? With complete patience and teaching. <laughs> some patience there. Think marathon, not sprint. In the Scripture, and even in Timothy, there's, there's these agricultural metaphors, which we get well around here because we have a lot of agricultural stuff working around us. Those are slow things. God is very comfortable with seasons. He is very comfortable with long hauls, lots of time, slow work. You plant, you water, you sow, you just sit and watch. Stuff happens. It takes a while. You wait seasons for this to go on. There's, there ought to be consistent sowing. There ought to be consistent watering. There ought to be consistency in preaching and reproving and rebuking. But God does the work. 
And we ought to be doing those things with patience, knowing that it's in God's timing. And that He's very comfortable with a lot longer spans than we are. And this is why here at Sojourn we, we preach through books of the Bible. Because it's not flashy, right? You can't go up to your friends and say, we've got this new series, it's this and this, and it's really, oh, we're going through 2 Corinthians. It's not a big headline. But it's effective. Because it's God's Word. And we want to give ourselves consistently to it. I like what one author has said. We just read this book, excellent book. We have to resist the naive and manipulative assumption that just because we preached or said something once, that they should hereafter immediately, always and forever get it right. That's impatient preaching. And think about that as it applies in your lives as well. Absolutely that hits me because I want to see results right now and God is very comfortable with seasons. And I've given myself over this naive or manipulative assumption that once I preach it, it should be done. As if that's happening in my life. Which is not, in case you're wondering. I, I need multiple times. Get someone that will fill this role who will both preach the Bible consistently but will also do it with patience. And we ought to do the same with, with people that we think of in our lives. Maybe we're not Timothy in the role of a pastor in the church, but think about in your kids' lives, and your family members, and neighbors you're trying to reach out to. Like, get them the Word. It points them to salvation. And do it consistently. Watering, sowing, watering, sowing, waiting patiently for the Lord to work. And stick to it. It's powerful. Create the entire universe. So it's important that the Bible be central in both the life of the church and individually. We need to hear it preached, but also look at what Paul says here. Whether it's convenient or not, he says in verse 3, time is coming. People will not endorse sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So the, the preaching of the Bible is important. Its centrality in the life of the church is important, but also is its hearing. And so part of this today is, is to think, evaluate your hearing of the Word of God. Evaluate your listening to it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he instructs Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scriptures. Why? Why would they devote themselves to the public reading of Scriptures? Well, one, they didn't have Bibles circulating around like we do. Every one of us practically has a Bible on our phone or physical text. Like, they didn't have that, so they, they needed to hear the information. But why just give yourself to the public reading of Scriptures? Because it's central, because it's authoritative, and because hearing it matters. The physical hearing of the Word of God matters. And here's the reality for all of our lives is that we listen to all sorts of things. We listen to ourselves. We have music going nonstop. We have noise around us all the time. We have different podcasts. We have news. And the question for us is, do we listen to the Word of God? Do we hear the Word of God? Is it central to our hearing? Because whether you want to believe it or not, all of us have the same tendency that Adam and Eve have. And that these Ephesians have. To move away from truth. To go a different direction. To get teachers we like to hear because we like to hear them. 
My guess is that outside of this setting, you probably listen to only the people you want to listen to, that you like listening to. That's not evil and bad, but think about the centrality of listening to and hearing the Word of God. The centrality of the Word, the authoritative nature of the Word, the preaching of the Word, guard us from having these ears where we will just accumulate what we want. Because we might not necessarily want to hear the Word, but it's what we need to hear. It's what protects us and guides us into the truth. I like what Jerry Bridges said. Don't believe everything you think. You cannot be trusted to tell yourself the truth. Stay in the Word. Sounds pretty blunt. It's kind of coming down on us hard. But he's absolutely right. Don't believe everything you think. You feed yourself lies constantly. Stay in the Word. We need this truth. And hearing the Word of God matters. That's the emphasis on verses 3 and 4. The emphasis is on hearing. What they are hearing or not hearing. And they are listening to what suits them. And Paul says, that's what's going to happen. Let's keep the Word central. The church needs to hear. What does he say? Sound teaching. The church needs to hear. What does he say again? Truth. So that the church won't wander and won't gather around people who have filled their heads with half-truths. Or just all-out lies. One author said that we kind of live in the age of the ear. That seems crazy, right? That we still do this where we one person stands up here and speaks to an entire group. Like, this doesn't happen in many settings anymore. We like drama. We like vi- Why don't we just show a video? Why don't we show a movie of this thing? Because God's Word has instructed this in us. And it is said to preach the Word. And so for the life of the church, the preaching of the Word is central. And so we're not going to show you movies. We're going to preach the Word. We might show you movies sometimes. Not here at this time, though. Preach the Word. You need to hear it. We have the age of the ear until Christ returns. And here's the reality, is that He is returning. And that's when the age of hearing and the ear will come to an end. Because we will no longer not be able to see Him. But the Scripture is very clear. Then we will see Him as He is. Then the age of the ear will, will... Transcend and move forward into the age of full knowledge of the one and true living God. We have to prioritize the Bible until that time. It is our book. It is to inform and instruct all that we do. It must be central in our lives individually. It must be central in the life of the church. We must prioritize the Bible if we are to move forward in any way that would be honoring to God. It's our authority. It comes from God. So what about your life? What about your life? Is the Bible central? Is it your authority? Evaluate the life of our church. Is the Bible central to what we do here? Is it our authority? Is it instructing and informing all that we do? Is our blood the Bible? If we pricked you, if someone pricked sojourn, would the Bible flow out? This is what we want, is that sojourn, for anybody to, inside or outside, trick sojourn and our individuals that the Bible would flow out from them. That the Lord might be obeyed. That Jesus and His church might be built up and so that the King might receive glory. Would you pray with me to that end? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank You for Your Word and its authority over us.
as a church and as individuals, because we know, God, that your authority is good. Help us submit to it. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to preach it and hear it rightly. Guard us from errors. Lead us into the truth. Inform and instruct all that we do as a church with your word. And where there are my own thoughts or our our people's thoughts and opinions that are crowding out the word, I pray that you would convict us and move us away from that. God, help us with a clear vision move forward according to what your word has commanded so that you might be honored and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and lived a life that we could never live perfectly in obedience to all the Father's will. And that word died, a sacrificial death on behalf of sinners while they were still sinners. That all who would believe in Him would have eternal life. And He told us before He ascended into heaven to reign and to rule His universe to remember what He has done. And we remember with the Lord's Supper where He took the bread and He broke and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And He took the, the wine after supper and He said, this is the blood that is poured out for forgiveness of sins. And so we are to take this in remembrance of the saving work of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, we take this meal as a reminder of what Christ has done on our behalf and of how our, we have victory now because we're united with Christ through faith. So if you're a believer, now here's what we want you to do. Reflect. Are you submitting yourself to this Word? And if you are, you've trusted in Christ, come and be reminded that one day that Word that took on flesh will appear before us and we will see Him as He is and rejoice in what He has granted to us. We don't have a right at this table, but Jesus graciously extended it to us. If you're not a believer, take Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like, find us right now. We'll talk to you about that. We'll point you to the Bible. Which will point you to Jesus. So this is a time of reminder. Take your time. Not in a hurry here. Reflect. Do whatever you need to do. And then come and take as a body. Because of what Jesus has done.